Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The video game industry is one of the fastest growing entertainment industries in the world. And the typical white male face of gaming? Well, it's changing. The video game industry is ripe with talent and ideas from gamers and designers of color, often creating games and content independently. In a Forum Live event taped earlier this month, Forum producer and guest host Ariana Prail spoke with some of those game designers and gamers of color for an interactive look at the gaming world and its ongoing evolution. We'll hear their conversation after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Today we're bringing you a special Forum Live program on the changing face of gaming, taped earlier this month at KQED's headquarters in San Francisco with guest host Ariana Prail and guests. Let's listen. All right. Thanks, y'all, for joining us in person and online. I'm your host, Ariana Prail. And yeah, we're about to talk about gaming. Because according to an Entertainment Software Association report, nearly 227 million Americans across all ages play video games. Popular reasons for that huge number, video games bring players joy, provide mental stimulation, and relieve stress. And the world of video games is more than just franchise titles and big-name companies like Sony and Nintendo. There's a diverse and growing cohort of gamers, designers, developers, and executives driving innovation in the art, tech, and narrative of a changing industry. And we're hearing from some of these folks tonight. So joining me on stage first is Damon Packwood, co-founder and executive director of GameHeads, a tech training program based in Oakland that uses video game design, development, and DevOps to create diverse talent and bold new voices. And Damon was recently selected as a commissioner for the California 100, a vision and strategy initiative for the next 100 years in California. Welcome, Damon Packwood. 
Also joining us on stage is Anaya Crouch, animator and student at UC Berkeley, also a GameHeads program participant. She's a member of the team developing the game High Sidon that's inspired by Oakland sideshow culture. Welcome to Forum Live, Anaya Crouch. And joining us by Zoom is Trinidad Ermida, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant with the Ermida Company, co-founder of Mr. Augmented, a company creating augmented reality experiences. She also formerly worked in-house on diversity, equity, and inclusion at Niantic, which is the company that launched uh, the very, very well-known app, uh, Pokemon Go. So welcome, Trinidad Ermida. So during the event, we'll have some additional special guests that'll be popping in to chat with us, and we'll even demo a new game. And later in the event, we'll have some time to take some of your questions as well. So be thinking about those as they pop up. All right, so let's dive in. So Damon Packwood, hey. you uh, wrote an article in 2018 that was titled, The Era of White Male Games for White Male Gamers is Ending. Mm -hmm. So how are things looking for that in 2021? Does that statement still ring true as the trend that we're seeing? You know, it's, it's funny. The, the title is, is, is not as bad today as it was in 2018. Mm. I definitely got a lot of heat for that on social media. But, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's funny, like years ago, you know, when I was doing video game journalism, um, I remember when I used to go to events, I was just kind of blown away at the lack of diversity that were in the space because everybody I knew played video games, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody I knew played video games, my cousins, my students, brothers, sisters, like everybody played video games. So I, it was just a surprise to me that there wasn't a lot of diversity in the space, right? Like yeah. at these events and the people that were creating the games. So I got really fascinated with the data. You know, I was just like, this can't be correct, right? And everybody on the low, like when I would talk to like developers on the side, they were like, yeah, the industry needs to become more diverse and everything. And I'm like, why isn't anybody doing this? So I think the thing that got really interesting is that when you start looking at the data from like Nielsen and Pooh and like a lot of these um, universities had this data out there, but it wasn't aggregated. And it kept showing that like black and brown folks over-indexed on games. And then it was also showing that the largest demographic was actually women. The, the, the fastest growing in, in demographic was women. Um, and then there was this like really dope talk that came out a while ago from a guy who was paying attention to all of the um, countries that were going online, right? And the countries that were going online and they were starting to download stuff and they were going to be like the next generation of gamers was Kenya, Nigeria, Brazil, Mexico, um, China, and India. And then on the flip side, we were all as a country having conversations about the demographics and we were all, we were all aware that the country was moving into a, what they call a minority majority country by right. 2045. So if you looked at the people that played video games, Right. It's like the, the tipping point with the, the census data was that it differs by age. So in 2020, it was going to be true for those who are 18 and under. And then in 2027, it was going to be true for those who were sort of like 30 or 35 and under. And if you compare that to the people that play video games, that means that 57 percent are actually black, brown, Asian or mixed by 2027. Hmm. So when I saw that, I was like, holy smokes, this is crazy. And then if you compare that to the amount of people that worked in games, it was like 2% of the employees are African-American, 7% are Latinx, 2% are Native American, 9% are 
Asian American. And I'm like, I mean, I didn't look at it as a problem. I just looked mm -hmm. at it as an opportunity. I was like, right. oh, wow, this is going to be cool in the next couple of years. And so what are, tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that you're doing at GameHeads that's helping usher in this new era. Well, yeah, one thing that I, I used to pitch to people is like, look, you know, somebody is going to have to like nurture this talent, train them and produce the content for like the next generation of gamers. And they're going to be, they're going to be women, they're going to be queer and they're going to be folks of color and they're going to be mixed. Right. So like, who are, who are those people going to be? I also think that, you know, I'm born and raised in San Francisco, right? I'm a third generation San Franciscan. My family was, has been here since the 50s. So I am, um, you know, my family came here from Columbus, Texas. San Francisco used to be a very, very different town. Right. It was a very just working class town. And I remember when the first tech boom happened, we didn't even have a name for it. We were just like, okay, there's new people in this city. And then it busted. And then the new tech boom happened. And I remember I was like, this one's different. And that's when everybody started getting angry about the tech industry being here in San Francisco. I didn't look at it that way because I was like, well, we're all using Google. Mm -hmm. We're all using YouTube. Like we can't get mad at right. these tech companies because we all use their product. Like if we really want to be mad at them, we have to stop using the product. I saw it as a cultural shift. Um, and then what was happening in the Bay Area is everybody was saying, how do we start training the next generation of diverse tech talent? There was that big movement here in the Bay Area. And everybody was like, we got to teach them how to code. But I didn't actually think that was a smart idea. Hmm. I, it, it's not that coding wasn't important. It was just that you can only get so far as a, a programmer or an engineer as you are in math. And California has never done well in math. Well, I shouldn't say never. But it's been a while since we've ranked pretty high in STEM. And our public education system has always kind of struggled. So I'm like, well, what are we really good at? Because I was looking for the competitive advantage. And I'm like, well, if there's one thing that California does better than anybody, it's art, culture, and entertainment, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's what we do well. And so when you translate that into the video game industry or to the tech industry, what you get is video games. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my interest. That was my hypothesis. So I'm like, if you teach this to low-income students of color, they will excel faster than if you're trying to teach them only coding. Mm. You know what I mean? So that was the theory. And um, yeah, I think it worked. <laughs> well, yeah. And we have a testament right here with, with Anaya. So you're an animator and a program participant at GameHeads, currently on the team developing the game High Sidon, as I mentioned in the intro. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about that game and then about your role as an animator on it and just kind of <clears throat> what you do? as an animator. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, Team High Sidon is a um, PvP dance battling game where uh, we take... PvP? We have to spell that out for us? Oh, sorry. Uh, player versus player. All right. So, player versus... Yes, so, just remember. I, and consider me one of those folks <laughs> that isn't well-versed. I apologize. I apologize. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a player versus player dance battling game where we um, utilize a lot of the culture of the Bay Area, like the dance moves and, and um, sideshow culture to to like imagine a space in which legalized sideshows can be competitive. Um, yeah. And so, and you're in charge of animating the game. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, Your day-to-day -day kind of work on that. Uh, so we meet quite frequently a week. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of the work for conceptualizing the dance moves, um, 
animating them, sending out sprites, doing artwork for like splash screens, um, um, just like everything, everything that's visually comprised of the game is, is what I've been working on so far. Yeah. Um, so what are you hoping for the game to represent when it's released? Um, we're hoping to be able to represent a, a culture that other people can kind of come into and learn from as well. You know, me and myself, I'm not particularly, I'm not from the Bay, right? And so a lot of the work that I do is um, not only learning, but collaborating and, and being in spaces with my team members to where um, I can kind of like take a step back. I can, I can kind of like ingest all of this, um, all of this information, all of this culture and, and recreate that so that um, others can also engage with this. And so we're hoping, we're hoping to um, create something that is like engaging, that's, that's cultural, that's, that's like out there. You know? Nice. And Trinidad, do we have, do we have Trini on the Zoom? There she is. Great. Hey. <laughs> so Trinidad, there, I wanted to ask you um, from your perspective, hey, um, so there are a lot of diverse groups that have emerged to build community in gaming. There's Black in Gaming, Drag Queen Gamers, you're on the board of Latinx in Gaming. Can you talk about the influence and impact groups like these are having in the industry right now? One of the biggest, first off, thank you for uh, Damon. I see you. It's good to see Hi Sidon in the building. Um, thank you just for this opportunity. Um, one of the biggest impacts that these groups have is raising awareness. And it's because a lot of times when people are coming into this space, they're looking for someone, some place to feel like they belong or they're welcomed or they have a community. So Fun fact is like Latinx and gaming purposely does reach out in not only Latin America, but within the U.S. and surrounding countries. Right. And utilizing our influence through executives, people within the industry to really just look who's in the community and find ways to tap it. Uh, Black and gaming as well. I personally have a special place in my heart for Gameheads uh, because I lived in Oakland and I was able to see how it directly impacted the community of, of youth and young adults in the community that were able to like from conception to like production to being able to like publish, put it out there and hit the button and be like, oh my gosh, it's on a platform outside of my brain. Uh, they do it there. You're listening to a special Forum Live program taped earlier this month on changing the face of gaming culture with guest host Ariana Prail. We'll have more after the break. You're listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We rejoin our special Forum Live program taped earlier this month at KQED's headquarters in San Francisco on the changing face of gaming culture with Forum producer and guest host Ariana Prail. She's joined by guests Damon Packwood, co-founder and executive director of Game Heads, a tech training program based in Oakland. He's also a commissioner for the California 100, a vision and strategy initiative for the next 100 years in California. We also have Anaya Crouch, an animator, program participant at Game Heads, and also a student at UC Berkeley. And Trinidad Ermida a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant with the Ermita Company and co-founder of Mr. Augmented, an augmented reality company, along with a few other special guests you'll hear from now. Joining us now from New York, we have Dr. Mitu Kandakar, game designer and programmer. She's a co-founder of Glow Up Games, where she serves as chief executive officer and director of technology. She's also on faculty at NYU Game Center. And joining her as well, Latoya Peterson, co-founder of Glow Up Games, where she serves as chief experience officer and director for the culture. She's an award-winning race and culture writer and television veteran specializing in emerging technologies. Welcome to Forum Live, Me Too and Latoya. Hey, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. So Me Too, I'll start with you. Tell us about Glow Up Games and why you and Latoya founded it. Um, well, so yeah, um, thank you for having us again. Yeah. So Glow Up Games, Latoya and I uh, started Glow Up Games, uh, I guess about two and a half years ago now. Um, so I have been in the game space uh, a long while, about 13 years. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who, um, you know, I've done a lot of things in the space. I have a background in kind of engineering and game design. Um, and as you can tell from my accent, I grew up in the UK. Um, my parents grew up in Bangladesh. And so they emigrated sort of when they were a little bit older to the UK. Um, and I've lived in the US the last 10 years. Um, and, you know, I've spent a long time in the video game space, um, kind of, you know, talking about a lot of my work, but also kind of you know, recognizing a lot of the issues that the space has always had with just recognizing uh, the importance of representation. Um, and, you know, I, um, I've done lots of things uh, over the years to uh, sort of, you know, to like doing talks and trying to sort of highlight these issues, as well as just being someone who's been making games and um, sort of doing, doing things in the space. Um, I have a sort of doctorate in designing games for VR and I have, uh, um, you know, I've, uh, I've made indie games, I've started companies, but I just found I'd got to a place in my career a few years ago where I was just getting kind of simultaneously, uh, I guess, inspired by and frustrated by the fact that, you know, we weren't seeing in video games the same change that we're seeing in Hollywood and adjacent spaces where, you know, creators of color are really being able to take up the mantle and kind of tell our stories. Um, and I just knew because of being in the space for a while, just all of the systemic issues that exist in the games um, and exist with games being able to get to that same point. So, 
you know, uh, so a few years ago, I was just like, you know what, just going to like start a company to do this, to take on this challenge. And I reached out to uh, Latoya Peterson, who I bet I had been, uh, you know, friends with, but also a longtime fan of because Latoya was one of the first people that I even read about, like, over 10 years ago, writing about race representation in games and writing about these things. So, uh, yeah, so Latoya, over to you. Yeah, yeah I mean, it was, it's good. Oh, and actually, I do have, yeah, I have a question for you specifically, um, Latoya. So to talk, to kind of intro us to your first um, mobile game launch called Insecure, the come-up game. So it's based on the hit HBO show starring Issa Rae, obviously, titled Insecure. So how did you decide on this game theme and what are you most excited about in terms of it now being out in the gaming world? Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing journey from start to finish. Mitchu and I, as you mentioned, were just kind of friends on Twitter, brunch buddies. I mean, I knew her as like baddie with a BAFTA from the games industry, like figuring things out. And so, you know, I had done pretty well for myself in television film. I loved games since I was six, but never really thought about starting a studio. So it was kind of like, you know, the fun thing you say with your friends at brunch, like, yeah, let's just start a company. We can do it better. We can do it our way. We can do this. And uh, apparently, to the grapevine of the game industry, someone had mentioned HBO, hey, Latoya and Mitchell are doing a thing. And so he's got this random phone call um, from our now partner, Will Price, who's like, hey, uh, we're looking for a studio that could bring insecure to life. And I mean, that game, that show, with so much, both of us have been huge fans of Issa since the awkward black girl days. Um, we really cared about again representation, players of color, worlds that were created by creators of color. We wanted just to bring all of that and to combine our skills into doing something that just felt meaningful and for the culture. And so we were like, okay, we have to pitch at this. We're a brand new studio. We probably won't get it, but let's just run at it. And you know, two years later, with the support of HBO, with the support of Issa Rae and her whole team. Uh, we were able to actually bring a version of this vision to life. And so we went to soft launch earlier this month into the app store. So, uh, you know, we knew we were facing a lot of problems in our journey. Like there just aren't women of color in the C-suite in the games industry, as you know. We were pitching to investors who had never even heard of Issa Rae or understood how important uh, or strategic insecure was to the culture. We didn't know uh, so much about just kind of like the changing world of mobile free-to-play. And then we had a global pandemic on top of it. So it's been an eventful couple of years trying to like launch the company. Um, but we did in the games industry, you know, we tend to say, did it ship? It shipped. So we have shipped it. It's in the app store for folks who want to play the early access version to build. And we're happy to showcase a demo, but it was really important for us again to create something that reflected our culture. So it started with a mechanic that was based on the unique rap rhyme that Lisa does in the mirror to hype herself up. We used hype as a core currency of the game. This idea that you need to just, you know, to look at yourself in the mirror sometimes and let yourself know that you are out there, that you are amazing, that you are fabulous, and that you need to go into the world um, as almost like your stamina and spend your height to let you know that you are there and that you are um, in full effect, essentially. Uh, we wanted a game that didn't center romantic relationships, that centered friendships the way they do want insecure. And we wanted to showcase a world that by default was coming from a woman of color perspective. And so all of those things combined, uh, we also reached out to other good friends of ours who really helped us build this thing everyone from um, Anango, AKA Samus, who is one of the illest MCs of all time, in my opinion, um, who is our rap and audio director who really helped to craft this with us like every step of the way and convert rap and rhyme schemes into a game mechanic, um, all the way up to just, like the friends that we recruited for the project to come and help us out because we know like, this thing that we're carrying, um, it's a extension of Issa's world, absolutely, but it's also the world that we wish we had seen when we grew up. Well, let's yeah. see some, oh, I was hoping we could see some, but you had one more point, me too. 
Yeah, I was going to say just to really quickly add to that, you know, when Latoya and I started Blow Up Games, our original thing was that we were going to build original IP and original content. And that's still something we're going to do sort of down the line. But for us, it was really important, given our mission, to um, support and extend uh, a world that, that was already created by, by a woman of color. Um, and, you know, like if you look at the landscape of tie-in games, that exists for TV shows, for movies, it's never the black and brown shows that get the tie-in support. So it was really important for us to do it for that reason. Um, and like Latoya said, you know, not only change the picture of representation in terms of what characters are represented, but also who's making the games. And that's the biggest thing that we have been sort of trying to trust to try to solve. So yeah, with that, we'd love to show you some yeah, of the game. Let's check it out. Let's see some of them. Feel free to add your, your narration and com commentary for what we're, we're taking a look at. So without further ado, let's take a look at Insecure, the come up game. Yeah, so first we should mention that content warning. This is an adult show. <laughs> this is a game that's 17 plus in the um, Quite a bit is coming from what we're doing in uh, what, what links into what's happening in Secure. So you start off in kind of like your new life in LA, figuring out one, your custom character creator. And you invested a lot of time and money into building this because one of the things you wanted was a diversity of skin tones, of shades, of hairstyles, even down to the body type. You have a femme and a mask model, we have a slim and a plus model. We wanted to, even for our very limited budget, showcase like this diversity of who you can be in your own game worlds. Um, especially for those of us who grew up having to choose between like, oh, do I want to be a woman or do I want to be this one black guy? Because you generally didn't get an option for both, either or, or anything else. Yeah. I mean, so much of the experience so many of us have had growing up playing games is one in which we've had to kind of hide or suppress our identities or just like try and relate to like the nearest, uh, the nearest possible character that we can relate to. And, you know, it took me a long time to realize like, oh, oh. Uh, like white male friends or counterparts or people playing games weren't having to do that. So we wanted to create a world in which it was very much for us, like by default. So that's uh, that's where we are. Right. So in the game, essentially, this is season six starring you. Um, the show is actually ending this season, but we are just really grateful to be part of the series production team that allows us to keep going. So you move into East Department Complex, the one that she started managing, and we end up either season three, season three. Um, you become part of her friend circle, they invite you out to the club, and you spend a lot of time navigating these complex relationships, friendships, and then also trying to build your own rep and your own life in a way. Um, the biggest thing that is unique and innovative about our game is the rap rhyme mechanic, because that was not on the market before we started, and really, again, spending the time developing it with, you know, with this tech frame, with um, our good friend, Red, who also on his own studio now, but also as part of the game we're going to be unique art style that you see, um, another amazing kind of uh, person follower. And for us to figure out, like, what is the way we can help folks who are not naturally rappers to learn how to figure out this art of rhyming, the art of the rhyme style? How do we keep this true to our upbringing, to what we love, but also make it accessible to a wide range of players? including players who might not be from the same areas, same uh, the origin, they might not necessarily know anything about rap from the start. So really going through and trying to refine a mechanic, uh, which we would have called mirror beats, that allows you to look in the mirror and rap along with Lisa as you're about to see. Yeah. So you're choosing words that rhyme, uh, that fit in the, uh, that fit in these blanks. 
So you're basically composing these freestyle raps. So this is kind of the first example in the game where it's a little bit easier. You'll see an example where it starts just getting a little bit more complex. Uh, but as Latoya said, you know, one of the things that makes us unique, we have an actual MC that's like a core part of the team. Like how many game development teams can say that? So. <laughs> Um, and, you know, one of the other things I want to add, like, when we were, so Latoya and I, you know, we've spent a long time, like, pitching to investors, to all kinds of people who, like, you know, all kinds of barriers in our way. And one of the sort of, um, I guess, prejudices that come up, you know, when they see us, these, you know, these two women of color pitching is they're like, oh, well, you're just going to make... Um, you know, a game which is just like an existing type of game that's out there, but just kind of literally reskinned, right? And we're like, no, we are making games that are deeply rooted in our cultures and sort of like reflect that. So that's where that kind of rap ride mechanic comes from. So yeah, really one of our studio values is reflecting black and brown joy and telling stories around black and brown joy. And that's something that we carry into us in each project and every single one that we do. Um, from here to, we're part of the Niantic Black Developers Initiative where we first met. We got to work with Trinidad, which is amazing. Um, and then in everything else that we do, we always try to center that core value of being able to look at our culture to VR, reflect that in the game world through creative mechanics, creative technology, and also through storytelling. And so that's, that's where we ended up. In, in our battle rap scene that you're seeing right now, your first battle rap against control. Anytime you have a conflict in the game, you battle somebody for, for your clout, for your bars, for your status. And so, you know, we hope that people will come along and really enjoy not only being able to play and design their own life in the universe, but also to, you know, really be able to expand their craft as rappers and as artists. So, thank you. With a round of applause for the Insecure the Come Up game. I mean, I just also love the fact that you have a role, like you were saying, a role of somebody who's in charge of rap for the game. Like the, and creating that kind of position, I think, is, says a lot. It speaks volumes in terms of the representation that's being added here. Well, thank you all so much for demonstrating and showing this off. Let, let us know how we can get that again. Where can we find this and Absolutely. download it? So right now, we're um, out in early access on the Apple Store. So if you just search Insecure Game or Insecure the Come Up Game, we'll pop right up. We'll be dropping Android very soon around the start of the new year. Um, and then look for more fun drops and stuff like that around Valentine's Day. All right, Dr. Mitu Kandakar and Latoya Peterson, co-founders of Glow Up Games, which launched the mobile game Insecure, the come up game, which is out now. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. And before we bring in another special guest uh, remotely, Anaya, I just wanted to get your reaction as a student to seeing kind of these two women of color mm -hmm. founded studio knowing that you have an interest in pursuing a career in animation, what just comes up for you watching that and hearing from them? <clears throat> it's, it's definitely exciting. It's exciting and it's inspiring um, to think that uh, not only am I going to be able to engage in things like this myself, um, not only am I currently engaging, but uh, like these are spaces for like young little black girls like myself to engage in or my siblings, uh, of course. And so, and so, um, I'm excited about the, the potential for everything um, to, move, to move forward. Yeah. And Trinidad, I wanted to ask you, because I know you were someone who was in-house with a big gaming company, but decided you could have a bigger impact if you kind of branched out with your own consulting firm. So I feel like it's the same 
kind of mentality of like, you know, growing your own and, and going out there with it. And how, how have you found that journey for yourself? Oh my goodness. It's so amazing and rewarding, but also it's an uphill battle. It's hard. It's not easy. Um, but I'm honored that I have the opportunity to do it. I know it's a privilege. I know that there are a lot of people who would love to start their own thing or create something. And I'm hoping that in the future, my influence and my starting off on this path can open doors for others to be able to do the same thing. And then Damon, on your end, Gamehead Studios. Gamehead Studios is happening. Is that right? You have a space yes. that you're developing. So kind of what's your, your vision for that? Yeah, it's um funny story. I, I actually used to read Latoya's Peterson's blog, mm -hmm. Racialicious, when I was creating Gamehead. So I've been a big fan of Latoya Peterson for years. So when yeah. I when I heard she was creating glow up games, I was like, yes, yes. that's what I want to see. <laughs> um so I I I think um yeah, I mean when we created Gameheads, I think the first thing that we did was we asked the students how they wanted to kind of grow the program. And a lot of students said they wanted to continue to work on the project for a longer period of time. So we said, we're gonna have to find a way to pay them to work on these projects because the thing that gets in the way is they gotta, they gotta work, they gotta eat. So it's like, you know, if you consider the amount of time that you spend working at a Starbucks, for example, that's all the time that you could be using to work on your craft. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, we got to create a studio, which is more like an incubator right. that allows students to get paid to kind of work on these like passion projects of theirs. And then we're going to surround them with um, industry professionals. And these are like people that work at AAA companies that donate their time to kind of coach them up, train them, provide them with feedback. Um, and then we, you know, got fortunate and we found a, a space in uh, Jack London Square that we can use for both the studio and the nonprofit. And so we have two spaces. We've got one on each block. So we have basically a campus. So one is gonna be a production studio and then the other space is gonna be our main office. And there's like a whole upstairs art animation and engineering lab. And so nice. they all have the option to come there and work on their projects in the space. Obviously they can work virtual, but we wanted to create a space for them. Nice. You're listening to a special Forum Live program taped earlier this month on the changing face of gaming culture with guest host Ariana Prail. To learn more about the full slate of upcoming KQED and Forum Live events, visit kqed.org live. And we'll have more of this conversation after the break. So stay tuned. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We rejoin our special Forum Live program taped earlier this month on the changing face of gaming culture with guest host Ariana Prail and panelists Damon Packwood, Anaya Crouch, and Trinidad Ermida, plus some added special guests. Well, now I want to switch gears to another very popular aspect of gaming culture, which is streaming. So where popular gamers live stream themselves playing games and chatting with viewers. One such gamer is Courtney Williams, who goes by Glitch X City, Glitch for short. So let's check her out. Giving yourself a little walk-on music there. <laughs> so joining I hear, us now. I hear you guys laughing. <laughs> so joining us now, Glitch Yourself, Courtney Williams. She's also a content creator and music producer who creates songs that are heavily inspired by video games and popular culture. You can catch her gaming streams on Twitch. Welcome to Forum Live. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So take us into your world a little more. Obviously, we, we can tell there's lots of laughter that happens there. Um, <laughs> But say I tune into your live stream on Twitch. What sort of games am I going to see you playing? What are the types of conversations happening in the chat? Uh, so my favorite franchise game of all time is Pokemon. So you will nine times out of 10 will catch me playing Pokemon. If you, for some reason, catch me streaming at 2 a.m., I'm probably playing Apex or, you know, my secret Overwatch streams. But nine times out of 10, a Pokemon game, uh, one of the newer games just dropped. And so I'm still playing that right now. I'm enjoying my casual playthrough. So, and a lot of the conversations that we have, it's honestly, you know, whatever is going on, we'll have like random life conversations. We'll have conversations about the game I'm playing, random facts. Honestly, it's just a, it's just a chill time, honestly. Yeah. And <laughs> where did you get your love for video games? Uh, so my love for video games started off when my parents left me at a daycare. They they didn't abandon me there. They just left me there for, <laughs> for a off. day. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, it, it was a summer I was about to enter kindergarten. And I believe that was the same summer where Pokemon, you know, dropped. And at the time, you know, VHSs were a thing. And so the daycare people, they had a VHS of Pokemon. They popped it in the TV and I saw an episode. I just fell in love with it. So if someone were to visit your Twitter page right now at Glitch City, you they'd see a pinned tweet from a few weeks ago that says, don't quote, don't let anyone tell you that representation doesn't matter in video games because it does. And you have a clip of yourself reacting to a black avatar in a game. And we've been talking this evening, you know, about the importance of representation. So can you take us back to that moment of witnessing that black avatar and what it meant to you? 
Uh, definitely. So that same night, we went to GameStop and pick up that game. Like it, we, I just drove home and started to stream. And I was just like, okay, let's get started. And I pretty much knew everything that was going on in the game because they're remakes of games that came out in 2006. And back in 2006, in these Pokemon games, there was no such thing as, you know, changing the skin tone of your character. And so when the games were remade in, you know, obviously in 2021, that was a feature that didn't exist. So I'm used to seeing, you know, skin customizations and everything, but something about a game that came out in 2006 that was remade in 2021, where you can change the main protagonist to look like you. It just hit a little bit harder than it should have. I didn't think I was going to get very emotional. I was like, yo, I could play a game that came out in 06 as a black character. That's pretty sweet. Let's go. I don't know. It, it just it just felt special. Yeah. Well, it speaks to the importance of customization, right, across games. And Damon, do you want to chime in just a little bit on customization to tack on to that? Yeah, I think the customization options in games is awesome. And I always say that, you know, we want to see, we definitely want to see games that are made from the perspective of, like, you know, diverse folks as opposed to a general game where you have the customization options. Like, at the trailer at the Game Awards, the game that got that the trailer that got me the most excited was the game from the guys that did Falcon Age. What's the name of that game? It was Thirsty Something. And I was just like, it was all about just kind of like, you know, modern day Indian family. And that was like, oh, yes, that's what I want to play. So, yeah, I think that that I think we need both. We need customization and we need things that are just about, you know, this is a game about a black woman and that's it. You know what I mean? There ain't, there's, if anything, you're just customizing them as a character. So yeah, all of that is cool. And back to you, Courtney. I know the racial reckoning you know, that began last summer brought a wave of new commitments to diversity, equity, and inclusion by companies, including popular platforms um, for streaming. And you've highlighted that that's great and all, but you can't just promote gamers of color and think that's the win. So what are those efforts missing in your opinion? Um, a lot of the efforts I see missing is, um, you know, people of color in leadership positions because you have people of color that are, you know, working on these games, working in the community aspect behind the scenes and stuff. But, you know, they could be, be they could be paid less. They could be treated, you know, lesser than their coworker. And these people that are in leadership positions, they don't have that experience growing up to be a minority in the society, especially in the gaming community. And so we need more of us in leadership positions so we can, you know, obviously make cool things happen, make cool games, but also make it better for us to, you know, continue doing what we do. So, you know, definitely, you know, we need more of us in leadership positions and we need more of a platform to speak up on. Yeah, you can celebrate Black History Month, but what are you going to do in March? You know, what's going to happen in April and so forth? You need to keep that going. It's not just the one month, one day thing. You need to keep elevating voices like ours so we can be heard and make the world better. And before I let you go, I know, you know, there's the whole conversation about toxicity in gaming culture and in streaming culture. And it's a very, very real thing. I'm just curious with your community that you've built and your following, what are you most proud of in terms of the, the, community that you've cultivated at Glitch X City? <laughs> uh, I would say my community, they're very smart. They're very open to my experiences and I am open to their experiences because I, my community is from all over the world. You know, something that we may see 
like may seem normal here may not seem normal in their region, their country, and vice versa. Something that happened here in history, not many people outside of our country are educated on that. And so it opens up the floor for me to educate, you know, what has happened in the past, why, you know, there are responses like this and what we can do for the future. So I would say, you know, I'm thankful that my community is very open and uh, we we just feed off of each other. Awesome. Well, Courtney Williams, a.k.a. Glitch X City, gamer, content creator, music producer. You can catch her gaming streams on Twitch and her video game inspired music on YouTube under Glitch X City. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. So, Trinidad, before we get to some audience questions, we'll get to open that up in just a second. Trinidad, I wanted to hear your thoughts on what Courtney was sharing regarding you know, the efforts by companies when it comes to diversity, because you've also been critical of changes that are only sparked by trauma. Mm. And, you know, you'd like to see that change. So can you speak more about what you would like to see the industry doing on that front? I would like to see more accountability with leadership. When it comes to our CEOs and executives, a lot of times they will punt the ball to the chief diversity officer or HR or some function in that regard. And ultimately, if leaders don't move and travel from their the data, the head knowledge of knowing that this is a nice to have and understanding the business imperative, that this is not just this is not just a nice to have to sing kumbaya. This is something that we want to see um, our customers, our players, the communities that we serve, we want to empower them by showing them that we care about them by representation within our leadership. There is no more excuses as to why we don't see more black and brown and marginalized uh, um executives. The industry has been around for 20 plus years. We also have other varying industries within tech where other people are that we can pull into this industry. And it's an excuse at this point. I also think that we have to get beyond the low-hanging fruit. We're so comfortable with uh, employer resource groups internally and, and, and sending some money to a nonprofit or, or talking about like representation, we're not seeing it in our games. For example, Courtney loves uh, Pokemon. And I know, you know, working at Niantic that, you know, once a game is built and made, it's very hard to then go back and change it. So what are we doing now in the beginning stages of all these new developments, right? And making it a point, a point of the lifeline, a point of the 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 development where it's like, literally, the, see, these are milestones that we need to meet in order to, to let this go to production. Um, I, I really do believe, and I'm talking fast because I, I really do care about this stuff. There's, there's just like, there's an opportunity here to change internal policies. There's an opportunity to change how we even go to, we take IP or do we take IP? There's all these, and I'm intellectual property for those who don't understand what IP is, but when you're partnering with some of these studios that are, black and brown, women-led, um, you you want to empower them and not just take. That's something that we're so used to in this community of people taking our ideas, taking the our, our genius and capitalizing on it. So there, I mean, I'm just touching the surface of some of these things, but when I talk about policies, I'm talking about looking at our employee handbooks, looking at our performance, looking at how we, we really go into these spaces and empower people because a lot of companies are comfortable with just hiring a, a, a mid-level DNI person and then throwing the world on their back and saying, oh, have fun and make us more equitable. And that's unacceptable in 2021 and beyond.
We have an online question. James Salzman asks, why has SoCal been dominant in non-interactive entertainment media while NorCal is ahead in interactive entertainment? Damon Packwood. Um, great question. I mean, I think the most obvious is that, you know, Silicon Valley. I mean, that's, that's really what it boils down to. I mean, this is sort of the tech center of California. And then in Southern California, it's really Hollywood. But that is changing. I mean, Riot Games is down there. Sony is down there. A lot of Sony studios are down there. So there is a growing um, presence of video game companies rising up in Southern California. But the other thing to realize is Hollywood is now starting to adopt a lot of the practices um, that the video game companies have been using. So, you know, Mandalorian is, of course, the biggest example, but you've seen it in Oblivion and Rogue One and what have you. A lot of those special effects and visual effects that you see in the background are being created um, with video game engines. So the film industry is, is, is not really a film industry anymore. We call it the film industry, but we don't watch film anymore. We're watching digital images. So I think it's all starting to, to blend. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, there are definitely some video game companies in Southern California, big video game companies yeah. like AAA video game companies. And speaking of California, I did want to get to talking about the commission, the California 100 commission, so helping strategize for the state's next 100 <coughs> years. You're a member of that. What can and what are you hoping your gaming lens will bring to that strategic planning? Yeah, I mean, the... I'm uh, on the Art, Culture, and Entertainment Committee, and the thing that's crazy about the art, you know, California's production of art, culture, and entertainment, like we produce the most art, culture, and entertainment in the United States, and it's split between SoCal and NorCal, so it's film and it's uh, digital media, um, and the digital media is all interactive media, so it's social media, um, but it's also, you know, video games and what have you. <clears throat> and then half of that is like AR, VR, IoT, blockchain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think one thing that I'm sort of looking at is I'm telling people like, look, uh, uh, everything is starting to, you know, all of these apps and things that we're connected to have all sort of borrowed in some way a lot of the things that we've learned from the video game industry, like that feedback loop, getting you to come back, play the game, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, these are all just games. Right. And now the next big thing on the horizon is the metaverse and the metaverse, again, is the pull of the metaverse, which is what is the metaverse. Right. Yeah. Which is a, you know, like a, a, a world that you go into and, and you stay in. Right. You put on those VR glasses and you're in another world. So Facebook changing their name to Meta was their way of saying we're going towards the metaverse. And if you look at all the companies that are working on the metaverse, they're all game companies. It's like Activision, Roblox, um, you know, uh, Take-Two that does GTA, Fortnite, like these are all metaverse, um, you know, they're all developing the metaverse, so that's kind of next. So when we're thinking about the next 100 years of California, my thing is interactive media is now the young people's language, right? Like they don't want to read a book, they want to hear, they want to interact with something, they want to play with something. So if we're going to start communicating to young people over the next 100 years, we need to do it through interactivity, but we also need to start teaching that, right? They don't teach that in high schools. They don't teach that in public schools. Um, so that's kind of like what I hope my role is going to be on the committee 
is, is getting us to start thinking about creating these sort of interactive experience to communicate to people. And there's like 13 different subject areas. California's got a lot of problems that we're dealing with. I don't need to talk about what those are. Here, we all know what they are, but the way that we're gonna be able to communicate to people about how to solve those problems is gonna have to change, right? Because the medium that people are now used to is an interactive medium. And so um, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hoping that my role will be on the, uh, in the next two or three years that we're gonna be working on this, okay. on the California 100 Commission. Well, speaking of the, the young people, the next generation, Anaya, I did want to get your thoughts. Like, what gets you and your peers excited about you know, the future of gaming right now? I believe that games has become more, more of a medium than just um, like playing and interacting. I do a lot of work in education as well, and I'm finding a link between the two. Um, and I'm finding that uh, the use of games and the use of education are starting to become a lot more uh, efficient. I, I know that I am particularly excited about those two links, uh, being able to discover the different ways in which gaming and interactivity can kind of reshape the way that we think about education and reshape the way that we distribute education and uh, maybe tackle some of the problems that <clears throat> education and like interactivity in those types of subjects uh, currently have. And I know you've spoken before about being excited at the prospect of being able to, similar to Glow Up Games, have individual studios that are separate from these big conglomerates, right? And that mm -hmm. the pathway won't always have to be going to one of those spaces where they're kind of trying to tack on diversity, where you can go to a space where that's all already built in. Can you just talk about your perspective on, you know, thinking ahead to the job that you might want to pursue and, and how you might go about that? I'm excited for the conversations that me and my friends are having, actually, one of the members of my team are actually in the audience right now, him and I and the team, and we all have conversations about rebuilding these spaces, right? Rebuilding spaces that we want to see for ourselves, being able to put ourselves into the industry and, and like figure out what that means to be created for ourselves. So rather than um, working for spaces for prolonged periods of time, being able to kind of reconfigure the way that we maneuver um, in studios, in our own disciplines, and taking our own unique ex experiences, and uh, being able to create our own infrastructure, right? And in that way, <clears throat> we want to like, truly make inclusive games, truly make games that are um, unique to our own experiences, that are genuine to our own experiences. And um, we're just excited to like, explore what that means, right? So like me being interested in education, other people having different interests, just kind of like really weaving together these different topics to create something that's, like, that's, that's new and uh, that's, that's genuine and that we're interested in. Well, I think I want to leave it there and let you have that, that final word. Thank you all for, for joining us tonight, both to our audience online and in person. My guests have been Damon Packwood, co-founder and executive director of Game Heads, a tech training program based in Oakland, Anaya Crouch, animator and student at UC Berkeley and a Game Heads program participant. She's member of the team, Hi Sidon. And then joining us by Zoom has been Trinidad Aramida, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant with the Aramida Company. Thank you all so much for this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to a special Forum Live program taped earlier this month with guest host Ariana Prail. The program was produced by Lance Gardner and Ariana Prail, the engineer, Jim Bennett. Stay tuned for more Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.